All right. Welcome to church. Good morning. Thank you for that. Happy Father's Day to you dudes, fellow dudes. And I tell you what, if you don't sing hallelujah, if you can't shout hallelujah after that song, well, I'm glad you're here because you need my sermon. (laughs) Open your Bible to Romans chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to bring you one. And if you don't own one, you can keep that one as our gift to you. We're going to be reading a few verses in Romans chapter 12. And before we do that, I, uh, I just want to say what, a, what an awesome privilege it is to work here with guys like uh, superhumanly awesome gifted evangelists like Pastor Kurt, who is my life's mentor, who I'm so glad is back from Israel now, can share all his pictures with me. And uh, tell me the things he saw. And Pastor Matt, man, who is, I have a total bromance with. You guys don't know that, but uh, Matt is awesome. Brian, who's my best friend, but I don't think I'm his, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm his secret stalker. But I love working with these guys. I hope I can until Jesus comes back. I, I tell you what I love about being a dad. I'm going to tell you. I love playing with my little kids. Now, I'm getting too old because I can't get up out of the floor anymore when I, once I get down there. Uh, but I love playing games with them. And their favorite games have shifted over time. But their favorite game used to be, now it's Lost at Sea, this weird game we play. But, um, but now it's, it, but it used to be called Hulk Jump. And you remember the Incredible Hulk, the big green guy who could like jump for a mile? And uh, when they were little and tiny and I could pick them up, I would get behind one of them like Logan and I would... I would grab him under the arm, arms and I would say, okay, buddy, get ready. He's like, okay. And I'm like, T minus five, it's time to launch. And he would launch and jump as high as he could jump and as hard as he could jump. And I would pick him up all the way to the ceiling and then he would just kind of bounce and ping around the whole house until I got him downstairs. And by the time I got him down to his bed, this was a bedtime ritual, he was exhausted from jumping all over the house. But with me behind him lifting him up, he has been able to jump farther and higher than he ever could imagine in his own strength. But he's still tired. And this becomes a picture or an analogy of how the Holy Spirit empowers us for service in the kingdom of God. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit empowers effort. He empowers doing Now, he doesn't empower everything or he doesn't anoint or endorse everything that we do in his name, but he doesn't anoint and endorse nothing either. He uses holy effort, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So today we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit, last week we talked about how he convicts us of sin, and this week we're going to talk about how he makes us useful for the kingdom of God And so we're going to talk about that. Um, If you're taking notes, point number one is very simply this. Here's the first point I want you to learn. The Holy Spirit uses the other ones. The other ones. Those whose hearts, those other ones, whose hearts are fully surrendered to his purpose. I think the best analogy of this in the Old Testament is David, the son of Jesse. Before he was the king of Israel, he was just known as David the shepherd or David the son of Jesse. And he gives us one, that story gives us one uh, principle, unmistakable principle about how the Holy Spirit empowers our lives. And I want to share it with you this morning. David, son of Jesse, was in effect rejected seven times before he was chosen king. In fact, David's chances were so slim that it didn't even occur to Jesse to have him present at the royal tryouts. 
He wasn't even there when Samuel showed up. What I love about the story is here's Samuel, this mighty, powerful, authoritative prophet who wields this power and the voice of God. Samuel's a powerful dude. And he arrives in Bethlehem, and this is hilarious. The text says this, the Old Testament text says this. The city elders came trembling out to meet him and asked, um, is um, this a peaceful visit, seer? <laughs> Don't you love that question? I take it by their elders' ominous question that the prophet was not known for Facebooking people. You know, like he wasn't known for friending you on Facebook. He wasn't known for his social visits. This dude is serious as a heart attack. Bethlehem's elders were justified in their concern about what Samuel was there to do. They had just heard that Samuel went to see King Saul, and King Saul was the rejected king now because he was disobedient. And what did he disobey? God said, I want you to wipe out the wicked, immoral Amalekites, particularly the king, the despot, the dictator, Agag. Take him out. Agag Hussein, or you could call him whatever you like, but take him out. Saul did not do that. Saul imprisoned him, and Samuel showed up and heard about it, and Samuel had him brought in front of the royal court, took a sword, and killed Agag on the spot in front of the royal court. So Bethlehem's elders likely concluded that when the prophet shows up to your town, he's going to do one of two things. He is going to either offer a holy sacrifice to El, the Israelite God, or your town sign is going to read the village formerly known as. <laughs> Turns out that Samuel isn't there to slay the Bethlehemites for being in violation of Torah protocol. On the contrary, Samuel's official business is there to worship Yahweh, to offer the sacrifice, but secretly he is on a clandestine mission. He is secretly trying to find the next king to replace Saul. So Jesse's boys line up. They all take their turn, and one by one, the sons of Jesse strut their stuff. And one by one, Samuel says, nope, not that one, nope. When he gets down to the last son, he looks at Jesse and says, uh, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, let me think about that. Yeah, there's that other one out there in the field. David, David. Samuel says, go get him. They run out to get him, and, sa and uh, David comes bounding like a freight train into, back into the village. And when he walks in the door, Samuel is very impressed with him. Now, Samuel is not supposed to be sizing these guys up as to their physical characteristics. He's not supposed to be doing that. But the prophet just can't help himself. He's supposed to be looking at the heart, not the outward. And so this is Samuel's, essentially this is Samuel's description of David. Not bad. Not bad for another one, the other one. David's bourbon eyes sparkle. Something special. Though he lacks the brawn and the mass of his brothers, he appears to be in fine pastoral form. He is lean and lithe and a handsome face with sharp angles. He is neither a rippling wall of strength, nor is he the undernourished weakling of Hollywood depictions. David is somewhere in between. He is somewhere between artist and lion killer, worship pastor and braveheart. The seeds, the seeds of greatness are in him. 
And Samuel sees it, and the Holy Spirit whispers into his ear, he's the one, anoint him. And when he does, the Spirit seizes the young man, he prophesies and takes control of his life, and the nation of Israel would never be the same. You can share this. If you have your phone this morning, take it out. Tweet this. God is still trolling the margins. God is still trolling the margins looking for people who love him deeply from the heart. He is looking for passionate lovers of God on the margins of life who have surrendered their lives to God. Because, see, David had this one irresistible quality to El, to God, the Hebrew God, and that is that he had surrendered fully his heart to God. He was a passionate lover of God. And this is what God says about David. Wouldn't you like God to say this about you? He is a person, he or she is a person after my very own heart. They are after me. He pursues me. Now, some things just can't be measured. Some things only God himself can see. And what made the difference in David's life is a surrendered heart and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life to do what God had called him to do. So that's the first indispensable key from David's life. He possesses an irresistible quality to God. God is on the look for all those outliers, those other ones out there who love him deeply from the heart. Number two, here's what God does with these misfits, these Peters and Thaddeuses and Matthews. Here's what he does with them and Davids. He outfits the other ones for ministry through spiritual abilities or spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you a gift or some gifts of the Holy Spirit. He supplies us with supernatural gifts. What is a spiritual gift? Well, it's a supernatural ability. And they come in two categories. One are what I call the extra natural category. The extra natural category are those native abilities that you come with, like David. Remember, David walked into the room, and what did he have on his hip? Well, he had a hide pouch full of rocks, and he had a sling. Later, he would wield the sword. Later, he would wear the armor. When he grew up and became the mighty man of valor that he became, but when he first came to God, God rifled through his pockets because he wanted to know, David, what did you bring me? What did you bring with you? And Paul mentions all kinds of gifts that are native. They are extra natural because they become essentially baptized into the purposes of God consecrated to his purpose by the Spirit. So that would be gifts like uh, uh, administration, the gift of helps, the gift of serving. I think of Shelly Zott. You guys probably don't even know her, but she makes your coffee every Sunday morning. Probably never seen her, but that woman has the supernatural spiritual gift of serving. She has a servant's heart, and she has taken her, her heart of service and baptized it or consecrated into the service of the Lord. Gifts of administration, gifts of uh, uh, governance, all kinds of gifts of generosity. There are those kinds of gifts. And then, then there are those gifts that belong in the supernatural category. These are non-native abilities. These can be gifts like prophecy or visions or God communicating to you through special dreams. Maybe the Lord wants to give you a gift of healing and you lay your hands on somebody and pray for them and the Lord heals them. Or maybe you want, he wants you to engage in heavenly speech forms. There are all kinds of supernatural and extra-natural gifts that the Lord wants to pour into your life. Now, let me give you a few quick bullet points on how to discover them. 
these abilities or gifts for ministry. First of all, ministry involves costly sacrifice. That's the first principle. Look at what Paul says here in Romans 12, 1. We, we're going to read it this morning. He says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Underline that line. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12, 1. Now, the backdrop of this passage is actually Leviticus 17. In Leviticus 17, Moses said this, Do not ever bring the Lord God a blemished, defective lamb. Don't bring God a diseased gift. When you come to God and when you offer your sacrifice, you offer your best and you offer your first. And so the idea of offering God a diseased, blemished lamb as a sacrifice was anathema. It was unheard of. No one did that. So this is the backdrop of Paul's comment. Paul's comment is this. You now in the body of Christ, you are the sacrifice. And you're a walking, talking, living sacrifice unto the Lord. This is what, how God views you. And so it costs you something. But I got to admit something here today. I'm a fan of cheap. If you're a fan of cheap, raise your hand. All you other, yeah, see, there are many of you like me. You've joined now, been inducted into the fellowship of the cheap skates. I love cheap. Cheap is a deep, deeply rooted American value. Even the word value has been hijacked to mean cheap. You go through McDonald's, what do you get? You don't get an extravagant meal. You get a value meal. And I love to take my wife out. I took the family out last night. We spent a little bit of extra money on dinner. And once in a while I do, do that. But listen, for the most part, I'm usually looking for that dollar Costco hot dog. That's my idea of a good, hey, that, I'll tell you something, Jack. When I buy a new shirt, I don't go to the buckle. I don't think I've ever bought a shirt from the buckle. But I can find that same shirt for two-thirds off at Ross Dress for Less. That's right. All my fellow cheapskates. And I have another confession. When I go to Ross Dress for Less, where I can buy a $50 shirt for $10, I always buy it off the clearance rack at Ross. <laughs> so I'm cheap in the place where they sell cheap stuff. I'm still looking for a deal. But my obsession with value at low cost to me is inherently at war with my life of spiritual sacrifice. Frugality is a value. It's good to be frugal. We are around here in this church, if you haven't noticed. But we are frugal. And that's a good virtue. But that value is inherently at war with my life of spiritual sacrifice because God doesn't want cheap sacrifices. God wants extravagant gifts because that's what he thinks he's worth. You can share this. God is not the least bit interested in the chump change of bargain basement offerings. God is not the least bit interested in the chump change of bargain basement offerings offerings he doesn't want your leftovers he doesn't want your scraps in worship he wants your best you believe that do you believe he's worth that i hope you do 
King David said it this way. He said, I will not give the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. And he refused to give the Lord a gift that didn't cost him anything. And he came into a couple of really good deals, but he wouldn't give it to the Lord. Now, I know what Christianity costs Jesus. What I don't know is what Christianity costs you. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about your usefulness in the kingdom of God. Well, Christianity costs. If you want to use your spiritual gifts and service to enlarge and grow the kingdom of God, that's going to cost you something. Time to pay up. What will it cost you? Well, let me, let me show you. It will cost you some time in the word of God. It will cost you some time renewing your mind in God's word. Let's talk about that. Ministry flows, Paul says. Here's your next key. Ministry flows from a transformed heart. Paul continued, Romans 12, 2. He says, your life is a living sacrifice, but then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be metamorphosized. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and pleasing will of God. So what does he say here? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It will cost you some time in God's word. Why do you need to spend time in God's word? A lot of it too. I'll tell you why. Because your culture is trying to conform you into a consumer Christian. No, God, we are inherently consumers. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were given trees to eat. You know, fruit fruit from trees to eat. So you're inherently a consumer, but God doesn't want you to be primarily a consumer Christian. He wants you to be a communer and a contributor. That's his vision for your life. But this world is trying to offer you a virulent strain of self-worship. It is the cult of the self-God. And we have all been inducted into it in America. And what God wants to do is get your mind and your heart and your eyes in his word so that he can give you what I call a worldview transplant. Because the more time you spend in God's word, the more he begins to unring the bells of our culture that want to conform you to the pattern of ungodliness and godlessness. Did you know that God is omnipresent? A little theology for you. What does that mean? That means there is nowhere where God isn't. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. That's what we theologians call it. Now, that's great, but there's another thing about God you need to know, and that is that God isn't just everywhere at all times. He is really, his presence is concentrated in his temple. What temples were in the ancient world was the place where the deity manifested his presence. That is to say, the temple was the place where God revealed himself and showed what he could do for them in their midst. And so, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, and 1 Corinthians 6, and 2 Corinthians 5, when he says, you are the living temple of God. Not only are you the sacrifice on the altar, the living sacrifice, but you're the living temple of God. You're God's temple. And this is the place where God dwells in my body, in my in myself, but also in the body of Christ in general. We're the place where God manifests his presence and his glory. And so what kind of activity ought to accompany a temple, a holy temple, holy living, holy living? So one of the things that Christianity will cost us is time in the word so that we can replace a defective worldview, a world that has gone off the rails with sin 
and so that we may renew our mind in God's word and his truth. The next key to discovering your spiritual ministry is ministry is discovered through accurate self-assessment. Through accurate self-assessment. Here's what Paul says in Romans 12, 3, next verse. Here's what he says. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So what does he say? Don't think that you're something that you're not. And the analogy that he uses is that of sober judgment. Have you ever seen a drunk guy? I've seen a few of them in my day, in a bar, trying to fight somebody. He don't even know where he is, about to get clocked. Why? That dude, while he is inebriated in that bar, totally has a wrong view of himself. He thinks he's bad, and he's not bad. He thinks he's Superman, and he's more like Gumby. He can't even stand up. (laughs) The dude has a wrong perspective. And Paul says, think of yourself like a sober man with the right perspective. Now, I had an unsober, wrong perspective of myself when I first really recommitted my life to the Lord. Man, the Holy Spirit just kind of blew into my world and blew into my life. And I was so pumped. I was 16, 17 years old. I was so pumped about God. I just wanted to do everything for God. But I was convinced That my spiritual gift in life, that God had called me to be a miracle-working, healing evangelist like you see on TV. I thought for sure that's what he called me to do. So I started praying for people. I pray for sick people. You, You think I'm joking, but you don't have any idea how many people in wheelchairs I had to help back up in their wheelchairs in the early days because I didn't have that gift. After about the 10th person with crutches, I knocked their crutches out and laid hands on them and they just, bam, hit the floor. You think I'm lying. It's true. I realized, okay, there was a point at which I thought, okay, I don't think I have that spiritual gift. I don't think, it's like, duh. I don't think God has called me to be a miracle-working healing evangelist. So I began to pray and ask the Lord, what are my spiritual gifts, Lord? So I had, the first Bible I was given was this uh, NIV study Bible. I tried to find a bigger one, but I just couldn't find one anymore. But anyway, I had this Bible, and I locked myself in my room one night. It was Friday night, and I wasn't hanging out with my homies, and, and I just put this Bible on my bed, and I would read through Scripture, read through the Psalms, and read through Matthew, and I would read this Scripture, and I was praying and worshiping the Lord. And suddenly, just like that, this Bible out in front of me, the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus just rolled into the room like a thunder. Oh, it was powerful. It was the most powerful experience of my life in the presence of the Lord. And I sat there trembling in the presence of God. I could not speak. I was stunned. The Old Testament word for glory is the word weight. It means weight. And there's a reason why. Because when the power of God comes on you, it feels almost like a weight pressing on you. And it was powerful, and I couldn't move. And this went on for a couple of hours, but in that time, essentially what happened was is that I gained a passion for knowledge growth. It's as if the Holy Spirit just kind of cracked me open and poured into me a voracious desire to know the scriptures, to know them well, for what I would think of as scholarly knowledge growth. From that moment on, I couldn't turn it off. Now, before that moment, I couldn't turn it on. The Holy Spirit gave me a gift that I didn't have before he gave it to me, and it was awesome. 
Now, what you need to know is that when I was in high school, I graduated high school with the lowest possible GPA a human being could have. I think I still failed, but after five years of high school trying to pass Algebra 1 Part 1, I think they just said, let the boy go. Just, just let him go. And I finally graduated from high school. Now listen, I went on to get five post-secondary degrees, and the last four of them I have got a magna cum laude. I have graduated magna cum laude from them. I'm not telling you that to you know, impress you. I'm telling you that to show you that when the Holy Spirit gave me that gift for knowledge growth, it flipped a switch in me. It turned something on in me I had no desire for before. And the Lord can do that in your life. Maybe not exactly the same way, but there's some gifts. There's a calling. There's a ministry. There's something that God wants you to do that you only can do. Only you. You're uniquely suited and wired for it. And he wants to use it in the body of Christ. And he wants to bless people with it. Turns out I haven't prayed for very many people who have gotten healed physically. So if that's your need today at the end of the service, please go to Kim or Pastor Matt because... <laughs> You're likely not going to get any, I will read you the Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage or something, but um, I could teach you the Bible, but that gift hasn't been used very much in my life, but this knowledge gift has, the Lord has used this one, which leads me to my last tip on how to discover the Holy Spirit's ministry for you. Every believer is gifted for spirit ministry. Listen, if you don't come out of the gate knowing this you will never discover what God has uniquely gifted you to do. Never. This has to be bedrock. This has to be rock solid in your thinking. You are gifted for the Spirit's ministry somehow, some way in the life of the church. Look at what Paul follows this up with. Romans 12, 4 through 5, he says this. For just as each of us have a body, you got a body, right? And what is that body made of? Lots of parts. Your finger doesn't do the same thing that your eye does. And they don't really like to occupy the same space. Have you ever poked yourself in the eye? They don't do the same thing, he says. It's the same way with the body of Christ. There is a body of Jesus, a body of Christ. And we all have different parts. We all have different functions. And we all work together for the same goal. And that is to expand the kingdom of God on earth. And we all have a role to play, not just the preacher on Sunday morning. Your leaders are important. You should honor them. But you have a role to play. Your ministry, your calling, it matters to God. Back before the days when television sets came with remote controls, how many of you guys, show of hands, remember back before um, TV sets had remote controls? Let me see. Okay so, a lot of, okay, so a lot of fellow old folks in here like me. Now, for you young folks, you don't, y'all don't remember this. But back in the day, TVs did not have remote controls. I know some of you kids are looking at me like, what in the, how did you even live? <laughs> you had to get up and turn the TV channel. And so my dad was something of an inventor. He was a welder by trade. He was always inventing these weird little machines. And he, came, he invented a very uh, interesting way of changing the channels. He called this method children. And uh, so he'd lay on the couch with a cigarette in his mouth and a, a you know, whiskey, thing of whiskey on the coffee table. And he said, get up, boy, and go change the channel. <laughs> I'd get up and go stand by the channel. And back in the day, they didn't have buttons. I know you cannot believe this, but they didn't have buttons on them. They had these things called channel selectors. Remember that? Ernie's like, yeah, I remember those. Channel selectors. 
And they were hard to turn. It was like clunk, 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 clunk. And it was four channels, not four million. And then to top it all off, you get to a channel that dad wanted to kind of check out and wait for the commercial. And he'd be, he'd be like, move the rabbit ears, boy. And I'll be like, okay, <laughs> hold it right there. And I have to wait. Every channel had a different rabbit ear spot. Well, finally, we settled on our favorite family show, Star Trek. The old one, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock. And it didn't take me long after watching these Star Trek episodes for me to see that there were certain patterns in the show that always happened. For instance, the red shirt guys were always going down. In fact, I have this interesting picture. Go ahead and put it up. It's uh, Captain Kirk there in the khaki shirt, and the red guys are about to beam down to the planet. Look what it says. Well, gentlemen, you're all going to die. I love that one. Uh, put up the next picture. Picture number two. Okay, here's four of them. Now, we got Captain Kirk in the front here, McCoy and Spock in the back in blue shirts, and then the guy in the middle, I'm going to call him Ensign Ricky, okay? Now, four of them beam down, but only three of them are coming back. <laughs> Folks, Ensign Ricky's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. Why? Because Ensign Ricky is expendable. At some point in the show, they decided that the guys in red shirts are expendable characters. They exist to heighten the threat level for the show. But they're dispensable and disposable. And I'm here to tell you this, folks. God doesn't have any red shirts in the church. God does not have red shirt Christians. Your gifts matter. And I don't care if your gift is standing there and handing out a bulletin or fixing coffee or wiping uh, stinky butts in Adventureland or up on the stage leading worship or preaching, your gift matters to the kingdom. It matters because God, the Holy Spirit, has given it to you and he wants you to give it back. He wants you to give it back so the kingdom can benefit from it. And here's how it happens. It happens as we do like David did. As we surrender our hearts fully to him in worship. I hope when you come in on Sunday morning that your heart is ready to fully surrender. It doesn't mean it is. You walk in with a lot of luggage, don't you? Life is tough. You walk in that door and you got a lot of things on your mind. Stuff about your marriage and stuff about your dad and your mom and your family and your kids. And it's weighing on you. You don't have to walk in that door perfect. But when you come in here on Sunday morning, I hope, I hope your heart is open to the Holy Spirit blowing through you like a wind and filling you with more of God, as much of God as you can stand. And I hope your heart is for passionate worship of God because God is still trolling the margins, folks. He's still looking for outliers. He's still looking for those Davids, those other ones in the fields of obscurity that he can use powerfully and mightily. God can do things in your life and in your family that I could never do. Not in a million years, not if I live to be a thousand. But we must surrender our hearts to him like David did. And then we must commit ourselves to living right, resisting the hedonism and the sin of self-indulgence, and the sin of self-worship that this culture is trying to push on us. And we must pay the price. We must pay the cost through costly obedience. Ministering in God's kingdom is going to cost you if you want to do it. 
And then we must practice accurate self-assessment. We must know our levels, our limits, and we must know our passions. Know thyself. And lastly, you got to plug in and go for it. I mean, I don't, I don't want you to pull anybody out of wheelchairs, but if you got to do it, you got to discover your spiritual gifts. And the way you do that is not from some spiritual gifts test. The way you do that is you plug into ministry, you do something to find out whether or not you can do it. And if the spirit is not there and he's not igniting a passion in you for it, you don't have the ability for it, that's not your gift. But you'll know when you connect with it. This church needs you because this church is not about this church. This church is about the kingdom of God. We need your spiritual talents so that we can reach more with the gospel of Jesus. You matter to God. You matter. Well, I'm going to have the worship team come back up, and we're going to spend the last few minutes praying, last few minutes worshiping God. God wants to inhabit your efforts. God wants to inhabit holy, consecrated effort. When you jump, my friend, he lifts. When you serve, he enlarges the kingdom, and when you multiply, and when you give, he multiplies. That's the way it works. Let's pray. If you're visiting with us today, or you've been here for a while, and you're kind of feeling like, I've heard you guys talk about Jesus, and I finally come to that point of decision where I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus. If that's you today, will you pray something like this with me? Heavenly Father, I am a dirty, rotten sinner. I agree with you. I agree with you that I am lost and headed for a Christless eternity. And right now, I want to turn my life over to Jesus. And I ask, as I confess my faith in him, the resurrected Lord of the world, I ask that you would come into me right now. Come into me and transform me from the inside out. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow Christ as my Lord and my master, the master of my world. If that's you today, and you praying something like that in your heart, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is moving on you right now, mysteriously, powerfully, to change you from the inside out. You're becoming what John chapter 3 calls born again. You're being born anew by the Spirit, born from above. If you're here today and you're a believer and you've just kind of been sitting on the sidelines, there might be lots of legitimate reasons why you are. Maybe you were burned out from your last church and you have just needed a season to rest. You have the freedom to do that here. Maybe your heart has grown cold and I want you to open your heart again. I want you to open it to what God wants to do in you. Pray something like this with me. Heavenly Father, God, I want you. I want to know you more. I want to be more passionately in love with you, Lord. And I pray that you would stir within me a desire to grow in my faith and to surrender my heart fully to your will and your word. Help me to discover my spiritual gifts Help me to benefit the kingdom of God with them. Help me, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.
All right. Well, we're going to worship in two ways. One of the ways we're going to worship is we're going to take the offering. That's an act of worship here, and this is why we always include it at the end of the service where we sing and make music and melody in our hearts, and we also give financially to support the kingdom work at this church. So I want to encourage you to do that. But we're also going to sing. So I want to encourage you to do both, and I'll come back up and wrap it up. Before you go, a couple of things. If you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus today, there's a new believer packet on that back table. We want to encourage you to grab one of those. And one thing, guys, remember this. No red shirts. No red shirts. You matter to God. Your gifts matter to God. Go this week. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time, all right? Prayer team will be down front.